almost on cue. I love it, Jimmy. He's ready for the story. I love it. If you're here for the first time, guess what? We're walking through the life of Elijah. Now, Elijah dealt with a bad king. His name was Ahab. There you go. Exactly right. If you've been here for a few weeks, you know the deal. Ahab was a bad guy, so we kind of boo him when we hear about him. But we've been walking through his life because we believe that in the life of a guy named Elijah, we, thousands of years later, can learn a lot about how to live out our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, this week is a special week. This weekend is a very special weekend. We celebrate our mothers. And, and I, I know you won't be able to follow me, but I'm going to pretend you can follow me back there. We love our online family. Oh, good. Oh, thank you, Logan. You're going to follow me. Well, I, I was sharing last night. Oh, there you are. You're right in the middle. It's hard to get to you, Mimi. <laughs> we, uh, this, uh, we've been missionaries, and we've served around the world our whole lives. We never, ever, ever thought we'd be close to family in church, and here I am in a church, and not only my mother joins, but my mother-in-law joins, so I just got to hold Mimi's hand for just a minute. This is Mother's Day. Mimi, I'm so glad you're in our church. <laughs> That's Chanel's mom, and where's Chanel? She, oh, she's with the kids, yeah. So um, I have my own wife, I have my own mother, and I have my mother-in-law. I am triply blessed and so glad to be celebrating this Mother's Day uh, with all of those blessings. So whether you are a mother or you get to celebrate Mother's Day with your mother or your grandmother, because like we said before, we got mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, and I even heard one, one of us say, I'm actually a great great grandmother. That'll be your, your job after church to f- seek this lady out, although that might be dangerous. <laughs> be very careful who you ask. And I have my three daughters and my son. Thank you, Jimmy. Exactly. So mothers are a blessing. Mothers are a blessing. So we want to celebrate you. So because of that, if you will allow me a little poetic license in the story of Elijah... We're going to skip a little bit ahead. Don't worry, we're going to come back, but we're going to skip a little bit ahead because there's a fantastic story of a great woman, all right? Stick with me on this one. You'll understand in just a minute why I call her this. She is a great woman. She is not in the story of Elijah, but all the way fast forward to when his his successor, Elisha, takes over. Elisha has some interaction with a great woman from Shunem, otherwise known as a Shunammite woman, if you're an old school Bible scholar. So we're going to talk about that story. So we're, we're jumping a bit ahead in the story of Elijah just because it's Mother's Day. So don't worry, we'll get back to the whole story of how Elijah met and passed the mantle off to Elisha. But for this week, I want to focus on 2 Kings chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, you can, you can turn in your Bible. If you don't, you have your phone. All you do is hit the Bible app. Hit the word events, and there our church pops up. Hit our church, and there you'll see all the sermon notes as well as the, uh, the Bible passage. So if you'll, if you'll jump over to uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 8. As we read this story, it's a, it's a pretty long story, so we're going to re- read it bit by bit to understand exactly what's going on. But God's going to introduce us to this great woman for a reason. And I believe that if we understand what made her so great, ladies... <laughs> then we'll understand how we can be great. Now, ladies, obviously, I'm, I'm mostly talking to y'all this morning. Guys, you can listen in. In fact, I think you better. Well, mostly because your wife's there, and she'll elbow you if you don't. But, but I really think that what we're going to learn about this great woman applies to all of us, but especially to 
the women in the room. So 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. Let me just read a couple of the verses as we get into the story. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. One day, Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. <laughs> Guys, that's, that's a pretty good deal, right? <laughs> verse 9, she said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put it in a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. Now, this is her story. She lives in a city. She is a well-to-do, says the New International Version, woman, and she sees a need. She observes a need. She sees an opportunity. But let's look at what this word means, this well-to-do. That's the Hebrew word gadol. Say it with me, gadol, gadol, right? That means more than just well-to-do or even wealthy or rich, you know, that might have come from her husband, that might have come from her family being passed down, but she was more than that. She was gadol, the Hebrew word says, and that means great or, or even awesome or really well-rounded, a, a, a woman that people looked up to. She was a prominent woman. Yes, it probably involved money. Yes, it probably involved wealth, but it was more than just that. She was truly a great, a prominent, an intelligent, an educated, a mover and a shaker. Her voice carried weight in the community, not just in her home, but in the community. So the Bible points her out and says she was a great woman. But what happens about this great woman, this gadol woman? She sees a need. She sees an opportunity, and she acts on this opportunity all by herself. Nowhere in the Bible to say, and the word of the Lord came to this great woman, this good old woman says, openeth thy houseth to the man of God. She just sees it, and she moves on. This is exactly what makes her so special. The Bible says she actually persuaded the man of God. God didn't have to tell her. Now, if moms, if you've had boys in your house, we don't really understand that too much because we have three perfect girls. Christopher kind of has to do whatever mommy says. But, but when we would have nephews stay with us, they, uh, they gave the same argument pretty much every day. Why do we have to brush our teeth again? I just brushed them yesterday or in the morning. Why do I have to change my underwear again? I just changed it yesterday. They, they have to be told. Boys have to be told everything. This woman not. She just knew. She saw the need. She saw the opportunity, and she took it. I wonder, and we're going to hear the rest of her story in just a minute, but I tell you, it's incredible. I wonder what incredible story might happen to you if you were to see a need, if you were to see an opportunity, and you were to act on it without having to be told, like a little boy to brush his teeth every day. I wonder what God has for you. Well, I know what it had for her. It was an incredible story. It was an opportunity to bless someone else. This, this happened to us even this week. Uh, our, one of our church members, Leslie, she uh, directs the, uh, the uh, uh, Cerebral Palsy Association, and she has a number of homes and a number of centers where she serves clients all over Southwest Florida, actually even all of South Florida. We've had the opportunity recently to love on, to serve, uh, even beautify some of these buildings. You saw some of the pictures from the team this week and other times. I can't tell you how many opportunities we have had to share our faith with some of these folks that we only know because we first went in to bless. We first went in to serve. We first went in to beautify and just be the hands and the feet of Jesus in those homes, in those sinners. That's an opportunity that God gave us that we would not have had had we not seen it 
had we not moved on it and had we not blessed them. One of our uh, key imp- uh, parts of our, of our church's new uh, vision is we are becoming fully devoted followers of Christ by uh, belonging together, believing in Jesus alone, and by blessing our world. This is part of who we are as a church. We look for, we seek out. No one has to tell us, go bless that guy, go bless that family, go help that uh, individual, go help that school. We're just moving on it just like that's what made this woman a great woman, a great woman makes room for God, but then she goes a step further. She takes that, that first initial, you know, come on over for a casserole invitation, kind of compels him to eat her home-cooked food, which for a guy was really not a hard sell at all, but she even takes it one step further, and the Bible says she builds a room for him and just for him on the roof of her house. Now, clearly she had the opportunity to do that. Not everyone could build an add-on room for this relative stranger just to stay in every time he passed through. That's not all of our reality. Not all of us could do something that big, but she chose to do that. She went above and she went beyond the call of duty. Now she's probably expecting, okay, I did this for God. He's really got to come through for me. I've done this for God. Now he's going he's gonna to answer this. God owes me, but that's not at all what she was thinking. As she built that room and she made that space Literally in her house, she wasn't making space just for this man of God. She was making room. She was making space for God. As she carved out that space, literal physical space in her house for this man, she was carving out literally space for God. Not because then God would somehow therefore respond in like manner or or now she has God kind of over a barrel. Well, God, I did this for you, so now you got to come through with for me on this. Nothing at all like that. But what happens is when we make room for God in our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our workplace, in our weekly schedules, in our agendas, in our pocketbooks, when we make room for God, it doesn't compel God to somehow bless us because we were so generous with him, but rather it invites God's presence in close, tight, inside of us, in our family, in our home, in our hearts. And that's what this lady did. God came and he, he, he moved and he was dwelling in her house with her. It made room for God. This week we had uh, visiting missionaries. Many of you met Sean and Shelley Blackson. They visited many times before. They're International Mission Board Missionaries, IMB. That's our, our Southern Baptist Mission Board. There's over 4,000 of these missionaries. Uh, we were missionaries ourselves. Our kids are missionaries as well. In fact, we're going to celebrate them in just a few minutes. But, but missionaries tell great stories. We call them missionary stories. We, we love to gather around. I, I've been a missionary myself almost 25 years. And yet even now, as, as Sean and Shelly were ca- uh, telling our, our senior adults on Thursday, some of their stories of what God's do- doing in their part of the world, how God is moving, compelled me, and it it grabbed my heart. I was hanging on every word. I love those missionary stories. Well, here's the deal. Too often we think, well, of course, they got missionary stories. They have incredible stories of salvations and changed lives and, and healing and how God moves. Of course, they got that. They're missionaries. That's all they do every day. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. 
We were, we were one of them, too. We, we know that for every great missionary story that we love to tell when we would come home and visit churches, there were nine or ten other kinds of stories that didn't turn out quite the same way. Here's the deal. We wouldn't have had that tenth story that we love to tell and encourage the churches with had we not had those other eight or nine stories before. Not every story turns out the way these compelling great missionaries' stories come out, but, but missionaries make room in their day for that. Missionaries make room in their schedule for these kind of opportunities. They're looking like the great woman for an opportunity, for a need where they can move. No one has to tell them to do it. They just do it. In fact, if you were uh, back in March, we were kind of walking through our, our church's vision, and each, each Sunday afterwards, we would gather again in the Sunday school hour. We kind of dig into each of the Bs, remember? Becoming, belonging, believing, and then blessing, exactly, blessing. And we talk about that, what that means. We, we talked about one aspect where we said, now listen, if we're truly going to bless our world, if we're truly going to reach out to our world and, and help them understand the gospel, we need to, are you ready? You might want to write this down in case you weren't there. We need to stop using the ATM machine. That's the answer right there. What? <laughs> if you weren't in the class, you, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. There was a reason why we said you're not allowed to use the ATM machine anymore. The ATM machine doesn't have a heart. <laughs> it can't turn its heart to Jesus. It can't repent of its sin. It can't come to know him. But the gal or the guy that, lives, uh, that works inside the bank, they can. And so we don't go to the ATM. We choose to carve out time in our schedule, carve out time in our busy workday, carve out time in our busy agenda. And we go inside and we talk to a real person. We develop a relationship with a real person. And that relationship grows until we have the opportunity to share a, a goal golden nugget of our faith, that golden nugget begins to grow until we have a gospel conversation. That gospel conversation grows until we have the opportunity to share our faith, and that faith grows in them so they can become a brother or a sister in Christ. That happens when we make room for God in our day, in our schedule, in our lives, and in our homes. A great woman makes room for God. A great woman also depends on God. Look at verse 11. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room, the room that she had prepared, and he laid down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, that's a good name for you, Gehazi, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her and she stood before him. Elijah said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now, what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my people. What can be done for her, Elijah asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway again. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. All right, so what's going on here? A great woman, a gadol woman, she depends on God. She counts on God. She trusts in God. She was a gadol woman. She was a great woman. She blessed Elisha by looking for an opportunity to bless him with food and then in the housing. She made room for him. This didn't go unnoticed for God. This is not why she did it, but the truth is God, through his servant Elisha, was looking at the same time for an opportunity to bless her. In fact, did you see the story here? 
a lot of times we have a false picture of God in our heads. It, he's some kind of grumpy old man in heaven with a big long stick just waiting for us to make a mistake so he can pop us on the head or pop us on the fingers for touching something we shouldn't have touched or doing something we shouldn't do. That's not the picture of God in the Bible. The picture of God in the Bible is, is this man of God laying in bed, dreaming up, thinking, racking his brain, how can I bless this woman? That's the picture of God you read in the Bible. So he said, how can I bless this woman? She built a room, and because she built him this room, she made space for God in her life. God says, I am going to bless you by fulfilling your greatest desire. So what is a teachable moment here? If you bring God a cake, he's going to give you a Cadillac. Is that it? Is that, is that what we're reading here in the story? If, if you bless God, if you do something good for God, if you, you do a few good works, and then God's kind of compelled to take care of you, that's not at all what the Bible is saying. In fact, it's saying something very different. I, I, I dare ask the question, who was blessing whom in this story? Elisha, we just read it. He didn't know what kind of blessing the woman needed. He had to go to God and ask God. He had to go to the woman and ask the woman so that he would be able to bless her appropriately. But I almost say the woman was in the same boat. She didn't know the true need of Elisha. She just saw a need. She saw an opportunity and she just blessed. She didn't wait. She didn't ponder. She didn't question. She didn't need a special word from the Lord. She just did it. Uh, this weekend, we were talking about the team that came, and they did all kinds of work. And it, afterwards, just take a walk through the kitchen uh, slash uh, office area and, and so many other areas of our church building where their busy little hands were at work cleaning and fixing and repairing and, and painting. So much that they did. I, it was a busy time in our schedule, a busy time for the church. It's not like I, I didn't want them to come, but I, it was just one more activity. But God blessed us with, with some wonderful volunteers here in the church that helped coordinate that. And this team came in and they just went crazy. But I tell you what, I wasn't expecting the blessing they were to me personally. To see someone leave a mission field like Miami. Miami, trust me, is a very clear mission field. To leave the mission field of Miami to come bless us here in beautiful Cape Coral, that's not normal. And then their words and their attitude and their sweet, tender, gracious hearts, that was a blessing to me that I didn't even know I needed until God just started heaping it on me. I, I walked out of that very busy, very exhausting week about two feet taller. God knew what I needed, and so he sent them. God knew what Elisha needed, and he sent her. Elisha, like Elijah, his predecessor, these guys were, were lone rangers on their own. In fact, you remember the story of Elijah just last week? He was hiding out in a cave because he believed he was the only one left. Oh, God, just take my life. I'm the only one left. No one else is here. I'm all by myself. I think I'll go eat worms. Yeah, it was this big old fat pity party, but God knew what he needed, and so he blessed him with this woman. This gadol woman, this great woman, she learns to depend on God, and specifically depending on his leadership. You see, she was gadol, great, awesome, powerful in almost every aspect of her life. Almost every aspect, except for motherhood. That's where she was weak. That's where she was disappointed. That's where she was hurting. And God chose to bless her in the one place where she needed the blessing, where she was strong, where she was self-sufficient, where she was gadol. 
She didn't need the blessing. In fact, I almost dare say it wasn't possible to bless her there, but God chose that place of weakness. God chose that place of disappointment. And in that place of disappointment, God said, this is where I will bless you. That's how God does for you and me as well. God blesses us not in our strength. We men, we struggle with this probably even more than the ladies do. We are so self-sufficient. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We take care of ourselves. We are independent. We don't need anyone's help. Not even God's help until we do. And then God blesses us in those areas of weakness and disappointment. But here's the deal. In order for God to do that, we need to make room for him in those areas of weakness. If we are protecting that, in fact, this, this gal, she tried to do that. When, when, when Elisha was, was kind of moving that way, like he, he wanted to bless her in some way. He wanted to meet a need that maybe she wasn't even willing to, to voice anymore because it had been hidden so deep down in her heart. What was her response? She says, oh, no, 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 I have a home among my people. That saying was a, was a, a pat saying that you might say, like, a, like a, no, it, it, all good. Uh, I, I got everything I need. What more could I want? I live here in southwest Florida in paradise. It's kind of a, a pat saying that they would say in the Old Testament world, like, I have a home among my people. I have everything I could ask for, trying to sweep it under the carpet. Hopefully no one will look deeper into the wants and the disappointment of her heart. And then when he does, she says, no, my Lord. Don't raise my hopes. Don't let me get excited. Don't let me hope in something that I haven't hoped for in many, many years. I don't even talk about this hope anymore, much less anybody else in my presence. I won't allow it. Here's the deal, folks. We run the danger like this great woman of hiding those disappointed spots, hiding those weak spots, hiding those places of hurt where God wants to bless, if we won't allow God access to those areas and we only allow him to bless us where we're already strong, those areas will get filled with something else. They'll get filled with anger, with frustration, with bitterness, with apathy, with a cold cynicism that only destroys our own heart and our relationship to others. But if, like this woman, we do allow God access even to those hard, hurtful, disappointed, weak areas of our life, God's blessing will change not only that, but our entire lives. In fact, let's keep on with the story because it's incredible how God uses that opportunity to do that. A great woman, is all, a great woman also seeks God. Look at verse 26. We're going to jump far up in the story. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I know this isn't going to appear on the screen, so I'm going to... Let me, read, let me read a little bit from 17. You guys don't have 17 already, do you? Let me just read a little bit. I'll, I'll get to that part. But the woman became pregnant. The next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers, out in the field working. He said to his father, oh, my head, my head. Father told a servant, carry him to his mother. Remember, this is the old guy. He wasn't strong enough anymore to carry his own son. After the servant had lifted him up, carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. You didn't see that one coming. This is supposed to be the the blessing, the miracle, the answer to her deepest, darkest disappointment. She went up. She laid him on the bed of the man of God. 
Then she shut the door and went out. She called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today? He said, It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's all right, she says. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in a distance, the man of God said to his servant, Gehazi, look, there's a Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. Wait, what? No, that's what it says. Everything is all right. How could that be? The, the, a great woman, a gadol woman, she's got to seek after God. And here she is saying, I am fine. How can she be fine? Her son just left. She hops on a donkey in her advanced age, and she rides 30 miles, ladies, on the back of a running donkey. I'm sure there's some word for running. I, my, my daughter would know the right trotting, galloping, whatever, whatever donkeys do. I promise you, whatever it is, is painful. 30 miles of that. And she says at the end, no, no, I'm fine. This is not true. This is not real. That is not the truth of the story. How can you say that? Why is she saying that? What does it mean? Now, hold on now. You may not like the answer to this question, what this means. When Gehazi says to her, are you all right? Is your family all right? Is your son all right? And she says, everything is fine. She's responding to Gehazi. Let's think about this for a second. Who was it, who was it that she called the holy man of God? Elisha. Who was it who prayed and gave her a son in her old age? Elisha. Who was it who was the only one in her mind was able to heal her son, change her situation, do another miracle? Elisha. In fact, the, the, uh, after her son died, she, she goes to her husband, and you would think she would ask for a hug. She would ask for a shoulder to cry on. She would ask him to do something, CPR, go get a doctor, anything in the world the husband can do. The only thing she asks the husband to do is get me a donkey and get me a servant. Why? That's what the husband was capable of doing. That's what he had to give, and that's what she asked. Gehazi asked, is everything okay? She responded to him because that's all Gehazi was able to handle. She knew that she had to go to the source. She knew that she had to go to the one who could make a difference in our life. Here's the answer to the question, why did she say that? Because you and I, we make the mistake of stopping at second or third or fourth base when God's calling for a home run. God says, stop going to the internet. Stop going to social media. Stop going to your little group of friends. Stop going to the neighbors and the chit chat and the, and the next door app on your phone. Stop going to other people and come to me. As long as we settle for second, third, fourth, or fifth best, we're never going to have God's best in our life. We, we used to live in the country of Spain, and Spanish people are very talkative. <laughs> They're very passionate. They speak with their hands. I, I guess you see where, where I'm going with this. Uh, every time you would go into any kind of government building, uh, there's always a lot of activity, always a lot of noise, always a lot of talking, total strangers. Didn't matter if they knew each other or not. They're telling each other their story of why they're there. Uh, one of them got a parking ticket they didn't deserve. Another one needed a permit they weren't getting. Another one wanted to paint their house pink, and the, and the city said, no, it's got to be green, whatever. Each one had their little deal. The problem is the people who could really help them who could really change something, they were all behind the wall. 
They were waiting carefully, quietly, patiently in their offices. No one got through the door until they called your number. There's a long wait in Spain for that kind of thing to happen. So the only official out there was the guard. Now, the guard was there to keep peace. Like I said, these are passionate, talkative, red-blooded folks. And so he was there to keep the peace. And when they couldn't get to the people who could help them, they went right to that guard. Now, this poor guard, he's heard a million stories. And the poor guy, he can only understand so much. He's had maybe a fourth or fifth grade education, but he's got his polyester suit and he's got his taser at his side. Hasn't been charged in two or three years, but he's got it there ready just in case. And he listens to their story of woe and he nods and he shakes his head and he says, oh my, oh my, that's right. And after 20 minutes of telling him and really telling the whole room because they speak so loudly, nothing has changed in their situation. And they go and they sit down until the next one comes in. He can't fix it. It's not his job, it's not his skill set, it's not in his ability to fix it. All he can do is listen. That doesn't change a thing. You and I, we do the same thing. We run to our friends, we run, even at times, run to our pastor, run to others, uh, run to social media. We need to go to God, and that's what this woman understood. A great woman seeks God and God alone. A great woman next trusts God. Listen to what she says. Look down at verse 27. When she reached the man of God of the mountain, she took a hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Verse 28, she says, did I ask you for a son, my Lord, she said? Didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes, she said? What is she saying? A great woman trusts God, but her question is legitimate. She is gadol. She comes riding on a donkey. She is powerful. She is influential. She is awesome, but she is also humble. The Bible says she fell at his feet, clasping his feet, begging for yet another miracle to change her situation and raise her son from the dead. She is asking a fair question. Did I ask you for this? I did not ask you for this. I asked you if you wanted something to eat. I asked you if you wanted some place to stay for free. I asked you if I could bless you, but I did not ask you for a son. And yet this is what you gave me. I didn't ask you to give me hope. I didn't ask you to change my life. I didn't ask you to change my family. I didn't ask for any of those things. I didn't ask for a special needs son. You didn't ask for a divorce. You didn't ask for a cancer diagnosis. You didn't ask for an epidemic, pandemic, cruddy economy, job insecurity. Here's the deal. I believe God moves the greatest. God moves powerfully in these un requested gifts in these unwanted gifts things that you and I never would have asked for I didn't ask for any of those things I know you didn't ask for those things either and yet you got them but God chooses to work through them what do we do when we get an unrequested and unwanted gift something we did not ask for something we do not want look at verse 33 32 let's see if we can find an answer verse 32 says this when Elisha reached the house where the boy was lying there the boy was lying dead on his couch 
Why did he go back to the house? Why was the boy on the couch, the couch, the bed of the man of God? What do we do? When you get one of these unrequested, unwanted gifts, a gift you did not ask for, what do you do? I say you go back to that place of promise. You remember what happened right there in that room? God told his uh, servant, Gehazi. Gehazi calls the, the Shunammite woman. She comes up the stairs. She's standing in the doorway of that very room. Where does she go back to? The place of the promise. She goes back to the place of the promise. Folks, after church, we a lot of times will invite you to come forward and chat with me or, or Pastor Dave or one of the deacons. Some of you come forward and you just kind of kneel here at the stairs. The altar, some people say, and you, you kind of pray and, and you, you get things right with God. You say, th- why do people do that? I mean, they could pray in their seat. They could wait till they get home. No one's even looking. No one's even paying attention. They could pray at home. Why do they come forward and pray at the stairs? It was the place of the promise. This, this is holy ground for a lot of us. God speaks here. God moves here. God's told us stuff here. God's changed stuff here. This is where God gave a promise. So this is where they return when they need his power and his help. For me, it's, it's a place called Ridgecrest. Youth, if you're listening, uh, we're going to Ridgecrest again this year. That is holy ground for me. That is a place where my parents win as kids. That's where we win as kids. That's where God spoke to me and called me into the ministry. When I step foot on the campground, it's, it's changed a lot. It doesn't look like it used to. It's spruced up. I think they even have air conditioning now. It's, it's totally different from what it was when I was a kid. But when I step on those grounds... It's holy ground. That is the place of the promise for me. And God affirms and reaffirms that which he said to me almost 35 years ago. Number two, look at verse 32. He shuts the door. He went in, he shut the door on the two of them, and he prayed to the Lord. Now this this is a little creepy. <laughs> 2021, strange man. We don't really even know him. Yeah, he stays in the upper room, but it's not like he's family. He goes into the room with our son. Our son. No one is alone with our kids. No one. I'm always with them. I'm the helicopter mommy or daddy. No one gets to be alone with my kids. No one gets to tell them things, teach them things, be with them unless I'm there. He goes in with the boy and he shuts the door, leaving the mommy outside. Folks, there are times... When God wants to work and he doesn't want your help. Those fingers that love to get into the lives of our kids. Those fingers that love to get in the lives of our husbands or our wives. Those fingers that love to get in the dealings of the church or our work or other things. We love to get our fingers into those things. God says, there are times when I'm going to shut the door. And you're going to stay on the outside. This is for me. I'm doing something. I'm working here. I'm taking care of things that I don't want, nor I need your help. I'm shutting the door. You're on the outside, and all you can do is pray. The best thing you can do is pray. And then lastly, a great woman allows God to write her story. Now, this is, this is a story. Let me finish this on verse 34. And then he got on the bed, he laid on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hand. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room, got on the bed, stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. He says, call the Shunammite woman. He did when she came. He said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. Then she took her son 
and went out. That should be the end of the story. That is better than any Hollywood ending any of us could come up with. If she was going to write her story, that is the story she would have written. I mean, that's perfect. We can make a movie out of that one. The end. But it's not. The story goes on. Actually, it's like four chapters later. We pick up the same story, the same folks, uh, the, the, the prophet Elisha, and the Shunammite woman. Let me, in fact, let me read it for you. It's chapter 8. If you have a Bible, otherwise it's going to come up on the screen. Chapter 8, verse 8. Uh, verse 1, excuse me. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now, Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life. Remember that one, this one. <laughs> Go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can because the Lord has decreed a famine on the land and it will last seven years. The woman proceeded to do as the man of God said. She and her family went away and stayed in the land of the Philistines for seven years. At the end of the seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and went to appeal to the king for her house and the land. The king was talking to Gehazi. Who was Gehazi? The servant of Elisha. Talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. And he had said, tell me about all the great things Elijah has done. Just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, the very woman, the woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life, came in the room to appeal to the king for her house and her land. Gehazi said, wait a minute, this is the woman, Lord, my lord and king, and this is her son, the one whom Elijah restored to life. The king asked the woman about it, and she told him, then the king assigned an official to her case and said to him, give back everything that belonged to her, including all of the income from her land and from the day she left the country until now. This is incredible. You talk about the rest of the story. Paul Harvey couldn't have written this better himself. This is an incredible find. Do you understand what's going on here? The story continues. Uh, the woman gets her son back and they go on living until one day, uh, Elisha, because he continues to visit Shunem, continues to stay with him. He hears from God there's going to be a famine. He says, listen, here's the deal. I've got some inside news. I'm going to pass it on to you. Be careful. A famine is coming. Why don't you find a place to go? For seven years, she does, and she's gone. When she comes back, as was typical in those days, her house, her land, her property had all been taken. Squatters had come and taken it over. She had no power. There's no mention of her husband. Remember, he was old back in the day. He's probably passed away by now. There's no one to fight for her, but she's a great woman. She's a gadol woman. She goes right to the top. So I need help. The only one that could help me is the king. I'm going right to the king. She goes marching off to the king. At that same king, he's saying, I need some stories. Kings love to hear stories. Hey, Ghazi, tell me some great stories, some miracle stories, some missionary stories. Remember, we love those missionary stories from Elisha. He said, well, there was this one time, king, you wouldn't believe it. There's a woman from Shunem, her son, she didn't have a son. So Elijah prayed and she got a son. And the son she got, he died. But Elijah came and raised that son. And right as he's saying this, the lady walks into court. He says, wait a minute, king, you're not going to believe this. That's the lady. And you see the little boy? That's the little boy. It blew all of their minds. He tells the story to the the king, and the king gives her back her land, gives her back her house, gives her back her property. That is a cool story, but what does it mean here? A great woman allows God to write her story. Let me point out something for this little bit of the passage. What would we have called this woman up to this point? We would have called her the Shunammite woman. 
We would have called her the Gadol woman, the great woman. We might have called her the wealthy woman. We might have even called her the builder of the upper room for Elisha woman. All those things would have fit. All those things would have matched. None of those names are used in this story. Her name in this story is used three times. Let me read it to you. Verse 1, the woman whose son had restor- uh, he had restored to life. Verse 5, the woman whose son Elijah brought back to life. Verse 7, this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. Three times she's given a name, the same name. Every single time it's the name she never wanted. That part of your story that you would have written out that you and I would have left out because it was too painful. It was too hard. It was too much for you or your family to handle. That part that you never asked for, that part is what now defines this woman. That part is what which defines you. That is who you are. That is what God uses to, to define who you are. And not just that, God uses this new definition, your new name, your new identity, that weak spot that you wanted to write away and never think about again, hide away that no one would ever know. That weak spot is now what defines you. And not only that, it is what God uses to testify to the king of the country. It's what God uses to bless her and her entire family. That part that you and I would have written out of our story, that's the part God uses to bless you and to bless your community and to bless your church and to bless this world. Don't write it out. In our weakness, he is strong. Where we are strong, there's no blessing needed. Where we are weak, where we are disappointed, the part that we would write out of our story, that's where God pours his blessing into us. You want to be a great woman, guys? (laughs) You want to be a great guy? This is a woman to follow. We love Elijah. In a little bit, you're going to love Elisha when we start talking about him. But this woman, she is my hero. She was a great woman. She was an awesome woman. She was a powerful woman. Can't wait to meet her one day. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the great women that you have blessed our church family with, the great women who are here present this morning. I pray that you would pour into them even more greatness and power and wisdom and insight. God, I pray for the women who are here that don't feel so gadol today, that don't feel so great or so awesome or so powerful. God, we pray that you would pour into them as well. God, you have created them just the way you want them. You have gifted them just the way you want them. Father, you have written things into their lives that you think are important pieces of their lives. Forgive us, Lord, when we try to scratch out, erase, or write out parts of our lives that we didn't ask for. God, if you put that in our life, we trust you that you have a purpose in that. Give us the grace to grow in that, embrace that, and to be gadol, (laughs) to be great and strong and powerful in that. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen.